Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Ralph, the NBA is done, but now we've got the World Series is upon us, is here. Sports, this is this unique time where we're rolling from one sport to the next. Basketball and hockey are done, but football is is rolling along, and now the World Series. Have you been watching some baseball? This is the only time of the year I watch baseball. You know, October, <laughs> you know, Reggie Jackson, you know, I'll go back in those days, mm-hmm. uh, in Mr. October, so... The best time of year to watch baseball is a little different with COVID and no fans and excitement, but it's still baseball. At least you got something to watch. So interesting part of that is, you know, I think you have it on your Dodgers are in the in the World Series. So that's right. Uh, that's kind of unique, but we'll see what happens because they haven't made it and won a championship in a long time. It's been a long time since the 80s that they last won the World Series, but they've had one of the best teams in baseball for the last decade. This is their third World Series appearance in the last four years. So we'll see if the L.A. Dodgers can get over the hump and win the whole thing this time. It's going to be exciting. Uh, Like you said, this is my favorite time for baseball, too. It's almost a different sport between regular season baseball and playoff baseball. The intensity of every pitch, every at-bat really matters so much more. You feel the drama. And that series, both the ALCS and the NLCS, were fantastic. Seven-game series, incredible comebacks, rallies, uh, had me on the edge of my seat, biting my nails. And I'm only kind of a, you know, fair-weather Dodgers fan. I'm really a Cleveland Indians fan. Fair-weather, fair-weather. Yeah, I'm I'm a Cleveland Indians fan, but I live in L.A., so I've adopted the Dodgers. And and I was nervous watching a lot of these games, biting my nails. I'm probably going to be a nervous wreck during the World Series, too. Well, it's going to be crazy because think about it, you know. Dodgers, they got a little pressure on them to win. Oh, big time. You know, a little pressure. And then the Rays, they don't have any pressure at all. That's true. I, the young I, I upstart mean, team, they they can come in and say, okay, great. We can just let it all hang out. Yeah, and don't their worry entire about payroll of the Tampa Bay Rays, who are in the it's World so, Series, equals, I think, three of the Dodgers players. I don't get what you say that. Like, I mean, so you, you Dodgers bought to try to buy a championship, which never happened, right? Right, right. And the, Ray, the Rays have still got some players. They got players that are making peanuts compared to what, you know, they, two, two or three of those players make. So it's crazy. It's a real underdog against the, the heavy favorite. And the similarities to the NBA Finals are, are pretty unique, too. I mean, we had the L.A. Lakers, who were the big favorite, you know, the two best players in the series, maybe the, one of the best players of all time, LeBron James, playing against this upstart, young, hungry, scrappy yep. underdog team from Florida. Yep. That's what we got in the World Series, too. The heavy favorite from L.A. versus the young, hungry, upstart, underdog team from Florida. Imagine if the Rams played Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. So, I mean, you know, you got Brady versus the, the Rams trying to figure out how to win a championship because they, they bought their team as well. I mean, they got a high pay row in the Rams. Got a you know, new stadium, all the stuff going on out there. So, but it must be something in the water in California. You have to tell us, because you know, from from day one, this 2020 has been, we know, a unique year. So, hopefully, the water out there is tasting good to all these sports teams. Yeah, hey, I'm drinking the water right now. Yeah, is that, is that tap water or bottled water? 
This is this is uh, reverse osmosis water. Okay, uh, well, there you, you go. Know, there you go. I live in LA, and uh, my wife believes in that. I don't even know what it is. It's basically someone said this is going to be an expensive water filter, and it's the best water you can drink out of the tap. I don't know. I just go with the flow. Well, it make sure make sure when you move, you take it with. You. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, definitely, that's a part of it. We got to have that reverse osmosis water for sure. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for today's guest because this is someone who I have known uh, since college, which I don't want to date myself. It's been a little while now. We, yeah, a couple of years, a couple of years. Yeah, a little bit. We went to college together at Syracuse, and I have watched his career continue to blossom. Uh, Nick Friedel has been an NBA reporter <laughs> with ESPN since 2009. He started covering the Chicago Bulls during the Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, Luol Deng years when they had really strong teams. He was there the night they drafted Jimmy Butler and watched Jimmy Butler transform his career from an unknown rookie to a role player to become a starter, an all-star, and even today where he is. Uh, and now Nick is covering the Golden State Warriors. He often appears on The Jump and Center, Outside the Lines, Jalen Jacoby. You've probably seen him many times on ESPN. He knows the NBA inside and out. And I'm excited to talk with him about his experience inside the bubble covering the NBA Finals and what it was like for him watching Jimmy Butler take his game to the next stage, the next level of his career, because he's been there every step of the way. Yeah, it's going to be fun Fun to see his view on Jimmy Butler, for sure. I mean, imagine, you know, seeing him from being drafted to going to the finals against one of the best ever, LeBron James. So let's get started. Let's get right to it. Here he is, the one and only Nick Friedel. All right, I am so excited today to have my favorite ESPN NBA reporter <laughs> in the world joining us, Nick Friedel. Now, Ralph, we've had a lot of University of Virginia Cavaliers on the podcast. It was about time we got another fellow Syracuse Orangeman in the house. Nick, thank you for joining us and helping turn this Cavalier podcast a little more orange. <laughs> Anytime, buddy. It's great to be with you again. And as I'm as I'm looking through all this, I'm thinking back to how far we've come since all our broadcast classes at New House. So it's uh, it's really cool to be doing this. Did, did you guys sleep in class, or how was Jason in class? I mean, oh, man, how was it? You knew you knew Fish always had it. Whatever uh -oh. it is, you knew that he was gonna go do whatever he wanted to do over time. And I still, Ralph, I still remember we get out of school and he makes Swing State, right? Yeah, the documentary right out of school, and I was kind of like, of course he did. <laughs> so, right out of school first thing out right but uh -oh. he was like the first one of us that did anything so i i always respected that and i knew that he would find a way to, to all the success he's had so it's cool, uh -oh. uh, it's cool to see well so, thank you and that that's that, that syracuse communication education right I mean, oh, that's, yeah. Uh, oh yeah! All right, all right. Everyone went there. They, you know, it's uh, so many greats before us and, and <laughs> after us as well. You know, right. definitely, I appreciate those kind words, Nick. I'm certainly, I was full of it, whatever the it is. I was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could BS my way through uh, with well, the that best of them. Changed. That, that has not changed. changed. <laughs> I'm still full of it. <laughs> that is for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nick, I know you are originally from Orlando and you were just uh, in the NBA bubble in Orlando. And that had to be a unique experience for you as someone who played AAU games. Uh, shout out to the running rebels uh, right. in that very same arena that the NBA finals took place. What was that like for you? And can you give us a sense of how good of a job the NBA did from a TV viewing presentation for all of us at home? Just what went on to, to pull this off? Well, first and foremost, I, I couldn't believe as I walked in that I was watching the NBA finals now in the same place that I had played a basketball tournament in. And it was just kind of one of those moments. And everybody has them throughout their career, whatever their careers are. But to be in my hometown to drive 25 minutes from the house I grew up in to go see the finals yeah. as the NBA and Disney and the MBPA is, is pulled all of this off was unbelievable. But fish to, to the point about having the NBA put it all together and how many people and how many things had to go right for it, them to make it happen to be in there, especially a, as a viewer for months to then see it. When you walk in, you feel like you're a member of a studio audience. Mm -hmm. What you feel like is you, you've walked into a TV show because how they structured it is you see all the lights and, and it's like the players are on a stage. And maybe mm -hmm. that's true in real life in a normal world anyway. But to see how they pulled the bubble off and to see all that went into that behind the scenes and to see how intense the games were. Uh, that doesn't always come across sometimes, at least I didn't think so on television. To mm -hmm. see it in real life was really, really impressive. Well, the intensity had to be amazing because we started you know, one of our shows, like, how is this going to be? How will the NBA do? We, we expected something special, but, I mean, from my opinion, I didn't think it would be that good because uh, it looked like a, a bunch of guys doing pickup ball the first couple of games. But when guys started to get used to it, I mean, I'm sure they were talking noise. We we couldn't hear it all, but I'm sure sitting there, you heard a lot of the shoe squeaking, noise talking, you know, benches clearing and stuff like that. How was that from an inside view? Because we saw it, but we couldn't. We only saw the action going up and down more than uh, you did. So, God, who who talked the most stuff that you saw down there? <laughs> uh, Ralph, I, I saw Dwight talking plenty of oh, uh, Lord, Lord. talking plenty of noise in the couple games I saw. But but to what you're saying. That was that was really the most intriguing part for me because we've all seen NBA games. We've all seen NBA games up close. This was different. The players and coaches are much more engaged in the bubble, at least certainly the games I saw in the finals. But when you talk to people who had been there the whole time, they said the teams that did well were the teams that were into it all the way and that we're right. talking all the way. And that was not something I expected, was not only to hear what was being said on the floor, on the benches, but players on the benches, most of the time, the guys at the end of the bench are like, all right, we got like uh, an hour and a half left. Like they're looking up at, at girls in the stands. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just kind of, they're not as into it as they right, right, right. would uh, be. And to see how locked in everybody was from the benches, from the coaches, the players on the floor, that was another uh, another wrinkle of the bubble experience because that is not regular. I don't expect that to be the norm even after we get out of uh, what we're in right now. 
but that was pretty cool because that was that was it it was the players and the coaches and the officials and that was the the whole ball game and to see how intense it was for everybody down there that was pretty cool you think that's something that maybe the nba and adam silver instituted through a memo like we we got to get the players engaged because they were so spread out right in the, in the seating arrangements that they had they were all social distancing but yeah you saw dwight howard and them get up and lebron would dunk and they would just go crazy you know like they were just cheerleaders and fans so that had to be something either that was instilled or, or grew over a period of time because sometimes they would just i mean in the regular game they couldn't come off the bench like that basically right. right so the referee will call technical foul so somebody had to say something about that in my opinion so i and i agree with you i think the league must have said hey you guys are all going to be on tv yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to be able to see everybody so if you want to sit there and be quiet okay but that's not good for the product on the whole but right. on top of that and and this is something that you certainly could speak to in a regular game with all the fan noise with all the music I think for the officials and for the players, you're not able to always hear every single thing. Right. When you're sitting there in that bubble, you can hear everything. There, mm -hmm. There is nothing that is left to the imagination. You guys are <laughs> screaming at each other uh, from start to finish. And if there's a foul that they don't agree with, everybody's going to hear about it. And yep. moving forward, it, it just speaks uh, to me both as a fan and as a journalist. You've got to find ways to get the mics closer if you want that kind of experience for fans to translate on the TV. And I think in that regard, the bubble was a, a good experiment to see what might work in the years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a good experiment, not just from a game presentation standpoint, but also the league really had an opportunity to try some new things with the play in game, uh, with the different formatting of how everything worked, the structure, the schedule. Do you think any of that might stick around back when things return to our new normal? The play in game for sure. Yeah. Out of all the things that we could take out of the bubble, that play in game they're going to find a way and whether they go eight, nine, or whether they try to bring in 10 and 11 to get mm -hmm. more people interested later in the year. I tell you guys that not only was it fun watching in the bubble, but I, I was lucky enough a few years ago, that year that Minnesota got into the playoffs. In fact, mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler was on that team right. with, with Tibbs that out of all the regular season games I can remember was the most intense game. They played Denver on right game 82 right at the end of the year and i have no doubt that the league saw that and went we got to replicate this somehow mm -hmm. so it's another one of those things they saw it a couple years ago they had this chance memphis and portland that was fun kind of down the stretch the east not so much because the east wasn't really good, <laughs> nah, 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 good. Yeah. With, with orlando and brooklyn and the wizards but right i think that is something that is here to stay for the league they will find a way to get these teams right at the back of the playoff race into this postseason like atmosphere because on top of that guys it keeps the interest level for these fan bases who think that their season might be over if you're in the nine spot the 10 spot etc yeah 
Absolutely. Well, credit to Adam Silver. I mean, he's someone who is constantly innovating, never complacent, just stuck with the same way it's always been done. Just look at what he did with this year's All-Star Weekend, which looked totally different. The format of the All-Star Game, obviously the whole world has changed since then, so we're not really focusing on that anymore. But uh, I think that's been a huge credit to the success of Adam and the NBA is constantly thinking of new ways to interpret things and, and look at how to improve. Yeah, I think, he, I mean, you know, David Stern to put his mark on the NBA, right? I mean, coming in a, a great run, he brought the NBA back to where we're now. Adam has to take it to a different level, right? So it was an opportunity for him to try some things. I, I know from a perspective that they had tried this stuff with the virtual stuff before and they couldn't really figure it out, but it was on the shelf somewhere trying to figure it out. But now they, I mean, COVID made things in everybody's life, either slow down or speed up, right? So technology sped up. I mean, look at uh, we on Zoom. All this stuff kind of mm -hmm. evolved over, you know, a couple more period of time. So again, we talked about Adam all the time. He did an amazing job. No zero cases in the bubble. So I want to say, you know, you you stated how was that walking around? So I can only imagine after a game, I'm, I play and I just beat you, and I'm in the elevator with you. I mean, <laughs> that, that had to be just different for me, right? So. Let's talk about that for a second because that that's got to be tough that I got to compete with you. Then I'm playing on the same court. So you talk about being in Orlando, 25 minutes away from the gym. You know there was no home court advantage. You know there I don't have to travel back home and stay home and deal with all the tickets and all that kind of stuff. So like you said, whoever engaged and was focused on the bubble actually showed up. You know a little bit better than others, right? I'm sure. Uh, but you know how was that feeling? You know just being a player or somebody on, on the elevator, you think, and I just played against you and I beat you or lost. The the strangest story I heard, Ralph, to that point was after game six of the finals, you've got the Lakers. There was only really one restaurant uh, on that campus that a, a lot of the players uh, were able to go through all the time. And I was able uh, the night after to go walk around the campus and see where they were and, and to see how they set everything up for, for the players who were on that Disney campus. You talked to everybody who was still there. They said that the Lakers had closed that restaurant. That was where they had their, their post-game party to celebrate winning the title. And you've got Heat players that are walking around and they're seeing it. <laughs> and, and so on top of through the, the course of the last few months, the awkwardness that might come when you lose a game and you see a guy in the elevator, or you see a guy going to breakfast because that would just never happen mm. uh, usually in a normal year. To see that you've given everything you have to try and win a title, to lose to that team and then have to walk by the celebration on the way see back it. to your room or, or wherever you were going was – was something we'll probably never see again. And and for those E players, I am so curious to be able to talk to them later on because you've got to believe that that's going to only motivate them because they watched it all go down. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have that memory of that room that was that was lit up purple to celebrate the Lakers in that moment. And, the, and they didn't have that experience. And they had the other experience of seeing the team that had just beat them kind of looking around going, yeah, well, not this year, fellas. Yeah, exactly. That had to be weird. I, I'm sitting here, I look out the window, and there, I just beat you, so. Right. Wave at you, right? That's about it. Right. 
<laughs> See you <Yeah>. next year. <laughs> and, and Nick, I mean, we've talked about the success of the bubble, getting through this with no positive COVID tests, which is an incredible accomplishment. Uh, I, I personally wish Adam Silver could run our country, maybe expand the bubble to the United States. That would be nice. Uh, what was it like for you when you entered the bubble? You mentioned you weren't there the entire time. You came in during the NBA finals. What were the safety precautions like? What types of testing did you have to go through? Uh, how safe did you feel? And uh, what sacrifices did you have to make to enter into the bubble to attend the finals? Well, first and foremost, before you go in, even in that second tier that I was in up towards the top of the arena, mm. you had to get tested the day before. You had to go out to the hotel that the NBA set up and get the, the nasal swab that we've all heard about. Mm. And it takes about three seconds. And I remember the first time I walked in there and I looked at the, the, uh, the, the, the nurse who was kind of doing the testing. And I, I looked at her and I said, that's it? It's like, <laughs> that's it? And so I, there was so much made of, oh, man, this is going to take forever. Uh-huh. Literally, they undo the swab they shove the swab of your nose for three seconds and it's over mm-hmm. so in that regard i was i don't I, I built it up in my mind that oh man this is gonna take a while <laughs> but it took nothing and then i was out of there and so then you're just kind of waiting because i had to quarantine in my house when i first flew back uh, and and got to orlando and you're just sitting there because you don't know you don't know what's going on. And there's mm-hmm. that, that uncertainty of, of what's happening. So then you wait for the call. Uh, and if there, this is how it was set up. If there, if there was a call from somebody in the league office, you were screwed. <laughs> and, and if you didn't hear anything, then you were fine. And mm-hmm. luckily I didn't hear anything. And I checked with a friend of mine who's in the league office. He said, Hey, I saw the list. You're clear. So head mm-hmm. on out there. But it was, it was one of those things where, once you got in, you felt like you were as safe as anywhere you could be. Everybody was wearing masks and there was the, the hand sanitizer all over the place. But once you cross that threshold into the campus in the arena, you're going, ah, what, what do I need to wear any of this stuff for? I mean, they, they've got all the precautions in place anyway. And the guys, the craziest part to me is having, again, grown up in Orlando. If, if you and I were trying to drive over to go see what it was like outside it was never going to happen one of the craziest parts of me and one of the smartest parts for the league is that you get off the exit going towards disney as you get closer to the wide world of sports complex there's there's police and disney security all over the place i had to show them my credential that i used to get in the game you had to scan in each time Mm -hmm. i had a parking pass that allowed my car back and forth because I was coming from home instead of staying where uh, a lot of the league officials were at the hotel. So there were so many different protocols in place. You couldn't just be like, oh, I want to go walk around and see, even if I can't get through. The bubble started far beyond just Mm -hmm. the arena and what you saw on those those shots on television. They did a great, great job making sure that every security protocol was in place. Wow. Well, you had to wear a little wristband, right, to get into the doorway, and every time you went, they verified that you were okay. That's right. That's right. All my friends, and that was the strangest part of the two tiers, if you lived inside the bubble and you could have the interaction with players, you had to wear the wristband. 
But even somebody like me who came in at the tail end, I had to get scanned every time I went into the arena, every time I went into uh, the, the different parts of the complex. They weren't letting anyone in who wasn't cleared several times. And, and that's part of a huge part of why this work did. But whoever set that up in the league and, and knew how to structure, how they wanted to keep everything intact, deserves a gigantic amount of credit. And you, Ralph, you mentioned Adam Silver, and he's yeah. he's going to end up getting uh, a huge, a huge part of, of the credit for everything that's happened. But everybody in the league office and at Disney who set all these different levels up, uh, they they there's not enough praise to go around because you felt as safe as you could be once you got in there. And I think that for so many players, coaches, league officials, owners. Once they got into that moment, they were like, ah, there was a relief that came with all that. So tell me about the whole aspect of, you know, in the bubble, uh, the mentality, but also we heard one story about, uh, you know, one of the players and had a, uh, one of the people that were doing testing come into the room. How many incidents? Because, you know, they were serious. They just let him go. You, you got to, you know, you, you did that. You got to get out of here. So I'm so sure the rules or did they give you rules, but, you know, it's very serious as you mentioned because of the security, the bubble, but were there any other things that we didn't see possibly that, that went on inside the bubble? I don't think so because in talking to enough people that, that were there uh, the whole way and, and some of my friends who were there, they said, we've never seen security this tight for anything. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think the, the, the Daniel House story uh, that you're referencing, like that, that, that was just so, it, it was so unique in that everybody kind of went, wow, that, that really happened. Or, yeah, or some right, version, right. I, you know, right. we may never hear exactly what happened. Right, right. <laughs> something, something out of the norm happened because once you get in, and I know in my brief experience, you, there's a structure to it. Hey, I'm going to get tested. Hey, I know I have to wear my mask all over. I know I can't interact uh, with uh, with a lot of people because I have to stay on track to be able to get back in. Right. And so they took every precaution the league did to try and make everything work. And that that level that they held to, not only did they keep everybody safe, but it, it made those kind of incidents stand out even more. I mean, we right. remember, uh, I believe the player was on the Kings, uh, Holmes. Rashawn he, Holmes. He, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. He, he, uh, the Uber Eats, you know, we heard so much about that. But the reason for that is there's signs all over the place. Do not pass this line. Because if you pass this line, <laughs> Don't go beyond. You're, done. You're, in, you're in deep trouble. You know, everybody's going to see. And and that yeah. was that was a running theme. There were, there were cameras to a point where the security always knew. And I can tell you that the night after, when I was uh, walking through the campus, if I didn't have my credential on, and there there couldn't have been 50 people still in the campus. It mm -hmm. was everybody who was, a lot of the TV people who were finishing their work Monday, going home Tuesday. There were people asking me, sir, you know, are you okay? Do you know where you're going? And if I hadn't shown them what I had, mm -hmm and my passes to get through the different levels, then they would have been like, uh, sir, it's time to leave. So right. every, every T uh, was crossed in this whole environment. And that's why like anybody who went out of those protocols 
those stories uh, came up. They, they bubbled up yeah. uh, to the forefront. Good. Wow. That's amazing. amazing. They really did think of everything. All the details were they covered, really and that's why it was a success. Uh, it's amazing. Well, it was amazing that you got to be there for the finals as someone who covered Jimmy Butler's entire career. I mean, you started your ESPN career in Chicago during the Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, the great Bulls runs that existed with Coach Thibodeau. Um, and watch Jimmy Butler as a rookie with very little playing time turn into a, a, a quality role player, blossom into a starter and an all-star, and now on this final stage become a superstar. What was that like for you as a journalist and as a basketball fan? I mean, you've gotten to know Jimmy Butler as a person, and even though you're impartial, you have to have had a sense of pride seeing him go toe-to-toe and in some games outplay LeBron James. Fish, I'm still stunned. Yeah. <laughs> really, truly, I mean, the list of people who thought that Jimmy Butler could ever lead a team into the finals and, and certainly in those two games with those triple doubles get the best of LeBron in that moment, yeah. that list is one. And it's Jimmy <laughs> Butler. Yeah. That's it. That's the only person on that list that thought he could do that. But But to your point, about seeing him. I mean, I, I've covered him literally since the night he came into the league. And mm -hmm. I remember I was interviewing him on the radio the, the night he got drafted by the Bulls from Marquette, and, and he was in tears because he couldn't believe that he had gotten to that point, and he was looking forward to, to showing that he could stick in the league. And the story that keeps bouncing back into my mind is when he was a rookie, uh, Rip Hamilton, who was in the yeah. league, ever probably headed to the Hall of Fame, he Rip's like, Man, this guy, he shoots like he's hes throwing darts. <laughs> there's, there's no arc at all to his yeah. shot. And and to think that, you know, that was about 10 years ago, to think that Jimmy worked and worked and worked because that's all it was. Mm -hmm. And he got himself to this point. And, and guys, we all know the, the narrative that surrounded him. He had the issues at the end of his tenure in Chicago, yep. Minnesota, the year with, with Towns and Wiggins and Philly with, uh, Embiid and Simmons, it just didn't fit mm. to have all those things happen and then to put him in the perfect place for him, frankly, in Miami and for them to have this kind of success. It was it was something to behold. But Fish, the, the thing that, that cracked me up is every as you guys know, on these Zooms, especially in the postseason, they have to kind of announce who you are. Uh -huh who you represent. So, but before, you know, you're, I'm clicking raise hands, trying yeah. to ask my question. question. And, and there was, there was some night that I click it. It was after one of those triple doubles uh -huh. and I click and they go, Nick Friedel, ESPN. And, <laughs> and the, the zoom mic didn't work. Yeah. And so, <laughs> as soon as they say my name and this happened for four months, you can just tell on Jimmy's face, it's like, because <laughs> I've lived it with him. I mean, yeah. I've seen the high highs and I've seen the low lows. I've seen I've seen it all. But so I can't get the mic to work. And he's going, all right, we're skipping Nick. See you later, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought some things never change, you know, like it, it is what it's always going to be. But but to see him on that stage was was really unbelievable because I I never thought certainly that he could bring himself uh, to that level. Mm. So yeah, so that's my as a as a excuse me, Jason, as a basketball player that played uh, in Orlando. So 
I, I never played. I watched my son play there, so I didn't play <laughs> there either. But, um, you know, you see a player like Jimmy, he, he's, he's good, doing triple doubles. You've seen him evolve over his career. It didn't click in the other places he, he was playing. What made it click, do you think, in Miami? Because, I mean, he wasn't a focal point. He had some other cast of characters that were young and hungry. But from the beginning of the playoffs till the championship, they were killing everybody. I mean, yep. Milwaukee, they killed everybody. So what made it, what do you think made it click for him over this period of time? Well, Ralph, first and foremost, the mental toughness that that team had, and this dates back to months ago, mm-hmm. they're, they're going into that bubble saying, hey, we know that we have to play these teams and we know we have to be prepared to play in games, but they were like, we know we have to prepare for the bubble. And I think personally, so many teams came into that bubble thinking, oh, okay, like this is going to be – a different experience, but I don't think they were ready for like the isolation that came with mm-hmm. being in this thing for three plus months potentially, and and being around teams that uh, that not only were ready to play them on the floor, but were readily ready to really? mentally to <laughs> to go at them. So I think that's the reason why Miami had so much success. But to your point about Jimmy, it's a great question because why? did it not work in the last three places and why it suddenly doesn't work in Miami. And uh, from what I can gather, having talked to him enough, but talked to the people around him and talked to people on that team, Jimmy has always done better in his professional life with structure. Yeah. With being around people he trusts, being around people that he knows will work just as hard as he will work. And we could go back through Chicago, Minnesota, and Philly. Yeah, yeah, Philadelphia, they didn't do that, I'm sure. They didn't do that, and and they didn't do that at times in in Minnesota. At least certain players didn't. And so Mm -hmm. he was in a system that he believed in. And he wants – you know, it's it's so interesting because he always would say, oh, I don't care who's scoring. I just care that we win. I I believe him to a certain extent. (laughs) He always wanted to be the face. And you can speak to this better – uh, than anybody because you've had that experience on a team. I mean, he wanted everyone to know that he was the guy and he wanted to be able to lead his right, be a leader to the top. And yeah. so uh, on top of the fact that Miami believed in him and, and worked out that, that sign and trade with Philly and he committed to them, the best thing that the Heat have going for them is that they had what Pat Riley and Eric Spolster had built for two yep, plus for years. Yeah, They have that structure in place that he trusts. And it takes a long time usually for him to, to feel that trust. trust. But but then the, you've got players in there, the heroes, uh, the Kendrick Nunns, the Duncan Robinsons, all these young guys who want to get better, who yes. want to yeah. put That's in Pat the Riley, yes. that he does. And it's all Riley. So no, Riley. there was a perfect basketball marriage when you look back on what happened last summer and you look to the future, it's Jimmy Butler and the intensity he has for the game and the Miami Heat with what Riley and Spolster have built over time. But, I mean, so Jimmy's game, though, I mean, I, I watched him very closely, and, and I know uh, Bam as well from a young kid. I mean, he, he got to find a mid-range game, but Jimmy had that mid – I mean, he can dribble and stop on a dime and shoot a mid-range game better than I think anybody in the league, LeBron and anybody else included, right? He doesn't shoot many threes. I mean, he had – 40 points, whatever, and then shoot a three or something like that. But, yeah. I mean, that's that's an amazing feat what he does. But he also, I don't know if he likes to score, 
But you said being a leader where he gets other people scoring first and then to get them in the game. And I think he knows if he gets them in the game, a hero that gets a couple of shots, then all you got to do is draw and you kick the ball and they scoring. And that's the way he started coming back on people, right? They didn't have to score all the time, but he created the, he ignited the, 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 the with the ball going where he needs to go and he would kick it off, right? Draw and kick. And then they would score and he would be happy. And then if he needed to score, guess what? He did, right? You are absolutely right. And the, the key with Jimmy is that back in the early part of his career, he's sitting there begging tips, let me play, let me play. So he would get in there and he'd put up a couple shots and his game was always defined on defense. But if he didn't hit those early shots, he'd be like, all right, get yeah. out of here. So, out of here. Uh, so it, it really, it's a great parallel because to see Bam out of bio and, and guys, I don't, I really don't think the average basketball fan knows how great this guy is going to no, be. No, Anthony Davis did not want any part of Bam. Nothing. And if he was healthy and Dragic, yeah. you know, we can go through yeah. that. He didn't want any part of that. But, but Bam is unbelievable. And he fits into that group that just wants to work. And he yeah. wants to he wants to do the work that gets him to that next stage and gets them to a title. But uh, as far as, as seeing that all happen, uh, with with Jimmy and and with the way they're producing, I mean that's why I think the the future is so bright for that team because yep. on top of the fact that you have Jimmy who's who's learned to to draw the attention early but can now take over and that's the difference he can yep, take yep. over late in games and pick his spots to what you're saying. You've got Bam whose offensive game is going to develop and who's going to get even better defensively and he's been unbelievable already. You've got these other kids who can shoot around Jimmy and pull yeah. out the defense a little more. But I, I think what's also crucial here, guys, is the Heat are going to have, depending on what the cap ends up looking like in the next year or two, they're going to have a lot There's of money room. Yeah. to go after that other star. And mm -hmm. so you add one more star to where Jimmy yeah. is right yeah. now, to where Bam is going to be, and to the, the, the younger pieces around them, and you've got a team that's going to be good for a long time. So in your opinion, because I had this conversation with Bam's uh, kind of handler guy, and he said, well, you know, uh, and, I, and I coached Goran and uh, Phoenix that a player developer coach, but we need we need a point guard, and maybe we need that other it factor. Who would you, if you were the general manager, who would you pick to play with that team? If it were me, out of the guys who are who are going to be available, I mean, the guy who would fit and uh, who would – They'd probably win three or four titles in row. Yep, yep. It's AD. Right. <laughs> like you put AD right. and Bam back there, and and you've got Jimmy. But I, you know, I don't think he's leaving the Lakers. I yeah. think the guy who who really could could get them to where they want to go is Bradley Beal. Okay, like Bradley Beal into that lineup with Jimmy, and uh, you re-sign Dragic for another year or two. And then you, you've got Bam and all these other pieces uh, out of the, the possibilities that are most realistic, I would probably say Beal. Okay. And that's a good pick. Now he can, he can play now. He can go. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he had an incredible season this year for Washington, but no mm -hmm. respect. Didn't make an all NBA team. First guy, I think, ever to average over 30 points per game. And 
I forget, seven maybe assists or something and not make uh, an all-NBA team. Uh, he wants to play for a winner, and it'll be interesting to see. There's so many storylines. This is why I love the NBA so much. The season just ended, and we're already talking about what's going to happen this offseason, next season. What are some of the storylines, Nick, that uh, you're most looking forward to following in this current offseason? Because there's a lot from the Golden State Warriors and how they'll be back next year. The the Nets and their uh, emergence next season with KD and Kyrie. The Heat we just talked about. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks. I mean, we could go on and on. Is there a storyline or a team that intrigues you the most? Well, Fitz, this is why people love the NBA the way that they do. Because yeah. the games, in so many ways, have almost become secondary to what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Where this is, it's like a, a soap opera. Almost. It is. But, well, what's going to happen next? And what's the next big storyline? But uh-huh. for me, it all starts with Giannis because he's got to figure out what he wants to do and where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I certainly, I know people are like, ah, is he really the guy? Can he really be the guy that leads the team? I absolutely believe he can. I just don't know about how the rest of that roster is structured moving forward for Milwaukee. But after Giannis and what he decides to do with the Bucks, for me, on top of my uh, my link to uh, the Warriors on a daily basis, <laughs> what happens to them over time, I am so intrigued by the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Because, guys, as we sit here now, a few days after these finals and this season has finally ended, I'm still shocked that the Clippers didn't even get to the point where they could face the Lakers. I know. I yeah. which, which we wanted to see. We well, all we wanted to see that. To see. We, we <laughs> wanted to see it badly. I mean, that was, that was the matchup all yeah. year. It was Clippers-Lakers. Let's go. Staples is going to be rocking. You oh, know, I, yeah. The Clippers are going to play potentially seven straight road games. All that yeah. stuff. Right. Clippers fold the way they did against against Denver is just it's so sad because you see that like all these teams uh the way they're built over the summer they're they're ready to win now mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times and I thought the Clippers could bring it all together and you kept you kept hearing well uh, you know, they haven't played uh, together much. They've been injured, and then they got to the bubble, and there were a lot of different things going on. To think that that team with all that talent, with Kawhi mm-hmm. and Paul George, to to not even get to that point is is a real knock on them. So I would think they're going to be even more motivated, but the motivation is only going to carry them so far. Who's going to coach them? Right. How are they going to respond to that new coach? Uh, there are there are so many questions that surround that team, but there are there is so much talent on that team that as we sit here now, I don't think anybody should be like, well, they didn't make it this year, so they're right. never going to make it. If you put the right pieces around them, I still think they are the best team going coming into next season. Well, I man, I would agree to that, but I know Doc well, so he gets fired, right? So he, but he, but but as you see, you know, all the stuff that happened. You know, with the players leaving the bubble, going to you know strip clubs and stuff like that, et cetera. There was you said it earlier that you that in the bubble you had to be disciplined, and I don't know if that team was disciplined enough to be in a bubble like that because they thought they were that good, right? right. And then not going to Philly, and we talked about this coaching carousel with Nabib and Simmons, whatever. 
that discipline, hopefully he can bring more discipline there because those two or three people are going to be off the chart. So mm -hmm. I don't think Philly is going to do anything as well. But I do think that the, uh, John is John is going to go to the, to the to the Warriors. You do, I do. Oh, Ralph, you're going to make a lot of people in the Bay happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, they, they got a new arena. Yeah, they got Clay and Steph back. They got to have something back there to compete with the Lakers. And on the on the West, you know, so Stephen playing against the Lakers and the Clippers on the you know the league controls all this, I think, right? So he's got to go there to build that franchise back because that arena is off the chart, right? <laughs> so they got to have a good team out there, no matter what. And there's a lot of money involved in that whole deal. I think that's my opinion. I think it's where it'll go. Oh my! I I mean that has been the pipe dream out there for several years. Mm -hmm. Yes, that that Giannis would find his way. He does have a a, a close relationship with Steph. That's yep, yep, that's yep. legitimate. And and man, he would fit that team perfectly. I I just think with the real issue they're going to run into on the Giannis to the Warriors front is the uncertainty with all the the money in the league. Because mm -hmm. uh, we, we all know, and, and Ralph, I know you've been out to that Chase Center. That is the cash cow of cash cows. <laughs> that was supposed to be like, uh, you know, Donald Duck swimming in the coins. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. There was this money on top of money, and then everything stopped. So uh -huh. uh, on top of – got to bring it much, back. Right, right. On top of how much money is coming in, the question then would be, what what do you have to do to clear out the space to potentially land Giannis and would the Bucks ever consider uh, dealing him a year before? I, I don't think that would happen. So there are a lot of different dominoes that would have to fall. But but for sure, that is what they're still holding out hope to uh, out there that there's some way that they can make it work in the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the soap opera continues, you know, all the drama. There was even a report I just read uh, earlier today that the Miami Heat are going to go all in for Giannis as well. I mean, he is uh, going to be the next, the big guy. It's always, where's LeBron going to go? Now it's, where is Giannis going to go? And and Nick, as you said, I think that is the first domino that needs to fall. And then everything else is sort of secondary. But there are now so many teams that are in a really strong position to contend for a title. The Miami Heat, obviously, for the reasons we talked about, the Clippers, as you mentioned, who most people thought could have done it this season, the Lakers, the reigning champs, we got the Nets, the Warriors, the Bucks, the Celtics. Uh, there's a lot of teams who believe their window is right now, and that's something that the NBA was craving during those Warriors-Cavs years when it almost felt inevitable that one of those two teams, and likely the Warriors, we're going to win the championship. We've gotten the parody that fans so desperately craved. You, you didn't mention it. You didn't mention it, your favorite team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Nick uh, found that one funny. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I, I remember living it with you back in the day. Exactly. I was like, man, the, the Cavs aren't that great, but LeBron will get them there. And he eventually did. Yeah, he got them there. But, but once he left, it is. <laughs> you know, my hope as a Cleveland Cavaliers oh, fan, my hope is we just have to draft Bronny James in a few years. Oh, no. Okay, this is it. This is what the path. We got to build up, you know, enough core uh, players to add him to the we'll mix. Make it work. Bron comes back to retire a Cav, and he is like the greatest sixth man of all time and lead them to one more championship. This is all I have, guys. This is uh, my 
That's, what that's a good hope. That's a good hope, but it's not. A, it's not. It's not real. But it's okay. It's, it's, okay. Right, right, right. Not based in uh, in in reality, but hey, you know. It's All like, right. Well, we'll save this clip, and when it happens, then we'll see who's laughing. <laughs> right? Yeah. We'll see. Oh man, but but I tell you this, and, and and we just all all outline the same thing in the Western Conference. Every one of those teams next year, at least, believes that they can contend for everyone. Uh, the top tiers can contend for a, a championship, but everybody can believe that they can at least get in the playoffs. Yeah. And after so many years of uh, tanking and mm-hmm. oh, this team's not going to be any good, when you line up what's happened in the West, in a lot of teams, uh, I know at least from the Bulls' perspective, have been there in Chicago for so long with, with Billy Donovan and you're redoing the front office, there's mm-hmm. a lot more hope. Yeah, in a lot of these places than we're used to seeing. So as a fan, I think that's a great thing for the league because you have all these teams that have kind of disappeared off the uh, the the national stage for a while, and now there can be a competitiveness whenever next season starts that we're not used to seeing and haven't been used to seeing uh, for a long time. Well, that's what it's been a great point because there's no weak teams in the in the West. Houston might be the weakest right now because they have no coach, no – I mean, where, where is Harden going to go, which is going to be crucial. But I, I wouldn't want to play with him. I'm sure no, nobody else wants to play with him either from that standpoint. <laughs> but you don't, you don't have the Washington, the Orlando's, and whatever in the West. So my opinion with that is, and, 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 and trying to understand it, they, they would have to change the format because I think they were sending everybody to the West and do it like the NCAA. You got one through 16 or whatever it may be, right? And then there's no East-West. Right. That's going to be a better format, I think. And I think they, the NBA is going to try that one these days, in my opinion. Well, what do you think about that? you got to get the East owners to to approve that. And there's a lot of owners right. in the East who would not want that. They're, they're revenue share. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and, and Ralph's right. It's, it's money talks. They're revenue <laughs> I mean, share. If, if, if they can make it work from a financial perspective. It's funny, though, because I actually I had gone to China a couple years ago on that trip where the Warriors played the Timberwolves. And I asked Adam Silver that question. I said, well, at what point with the imbalance right now in the league, do you go one through 16 regardless right. of conference? And he said, we talk about it. We're going to continue to talk about it. And it's something that's on the table. But I'd say this is, as the devil's advocate part of the argument. We just saw Miami play the Lakers in the finals. If if that happened in the first round, something yeah, would do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then then everybody would be like, "Oh my gosh, are we really gonna fly back and forth mm-hmm. all these times and start that in the first round and move forward?" So there are a lot of questions. But Ralph's right; it's always about the money. And if yeah. they can make, especially in these smaller markets, these teams feel better about. Uh, sharing some of this money, then I think it's always going to be a possibility. I mean, if you're a bad team and you play in the first round of playoffs, I mean, it ain't, it ain't it's financially, you you get some people coming to the arena and get some ticket sale, but you don't get that TV money like, you know, like the rest of them do. And then do you really want to see Charlotte play against Utah in the finals? Probably not. <laughs> so you shake your head probably not, right? Ralph, I think everybody in the league office just went, oh no. <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, yeah, they said all the time. So like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to yeah. see that. So you know that's what um, they have to figure out. But it, you yeah. know, but you, you never know. They want that rating. They gotta have those uh jersey sales and everything else. So it's crazy. Well, Nick, one of my favorite things about you, uh so many journalists are just 
you know, pretty, they don't cheer. They don't get loud. They have to be impartial. You are a sports fan. You are a diehard sports fan, and you are loyal to your teams that you grew up with, the Orlando Magic, the Chicago Cubs, the Syracuse Orange. Uh, and you have, both through your career and as a fan, had an opportunity to be there, to witness so many incredible games and incredible moments. Uh, from the Cubs winning their first World Series against my beloved Cleveland Indians. We were actually both at that game. Crying tears of joy, the other sadness. Uh, watching our alma mater win a national championship, Syracuse, uh, as freshmen, which growing up in Cleveland and Orlando, that was a new experience for us. Oh, yeah. Winning oh, yeah. anything. Uh, and through your prof- a professional career, I mean, so many incredible historic playoff runs, NBA Finals games, games even just in the bubble that took place uh, in the finals that not many people will get to say they were there. Is there a moment or a game uh, that you have got the chance to witness that stands out amongst them all? It has to be Game 7 of that Cubs-Indians World Series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my, my Everybody has that one team they grew up with. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of my family, my grandma's whole side of the family grew up a few blocks from Wrigley. So from birth and, and uh, you know, coming home from school, flipping on WGN, watching Harry Carey. There you the go. Were my team. I mean, mm-hmm. that was my team. I, I came to Orlando when I was five or six and the magic had just kind of come into being. And as a family, we would go see those Shaq and Penny teams. And that was, one of the greatest memories of my childhood. But as far as one game, Fish, one moment, yeah. to see them finally win and to be able to call my grandma, who's now 91, <laughs> wow. who was at the World Series game in 1945, and she's wow. cried and my mom's cried, everybody's wow. cried. But to to be there and witness that, I, you know, you never know what can happen in life, but I don't see how that is ever going to be top because mm-hmm. on a – on a personal level, it was it was something that I always wondered if I'd ever see. And then to be able to see it and be there was was something very cool. It was. That, that was a very special game. And I, I'll always remember the Rajay Davis home run and the joy I felt <laughs> when I thought we were going to come back. We remind me of that one, right? That was one of my greatest sports moments. It ended uh, with a Cleveland loss, as most of them do. But that that moment, that inning, was one of the greatest moments of of my sports fandom career, for sure. That LeBron and J.R. Smith are, are, are still going nuts in that box up there. With shirts, the shirts off. off good, just going crazy. Exactly. J.R. Smith. Okay, great. Uh, that's somebody that's you can up a bad name about J.R. Smith, but okay, great. <laughs> Another current NBA champion, J.R. Smith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks to LeBron. He got in there and rode the wave. So thank you, That's LeBron. Right. For that one. Team Clutch, the Clutch yeah, Lakers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, Nick, this has been a blast chatting with you. We could do this for, for hours, but I know you're a very busy man because the NBA drama is always unfolding. One final question that we like to ask all of our guests is to give you an opportunity to pay homage to someone in your life or your career that helped get you to where you are today. You've had a lot of success covering the teams and the sports that you love so much uh, since you were a little kid, uh, doing it for ESPN for now uh, over a decade. And is there someone that you want to give a shout out to, pay homage to, that helped get you to where you are today? It's got to be my mom. It's got to be my mom. I mean, she is the one 
who believed in me from uh, when I was really little and I would sit there and watch uh, the Cubs games and the Magic games and I'd stay up late and I'd run outside after some of these games ended to go see the newspaper uh, in the morning to see if my team had won. And she's like, you know, you can do that if you want to do that. She was constantly building up that confidence in my brain that if I wanted to be around sports, that I could. And I, I say that not only because as a little kid, I remember that, but the toughest part for me was when you and I were actually coming out of college. Mm-hmm. And when I was coming out of college, I had gone to school as a broadcast major. My whole goal in life was to be Harry Carey. I was convinced I was going to be the Cubs play-by-play guy. I was going to work through the minor leagues and yeah. and pay my dues. But eventually, that was the dream job. And I remember that there was a class that we could take at Syracuse, a play-by-play class. They taught mm-hmm. you, you know, the the mechanics of it. And I was terrible at it. <laughs> I just I was not good at the the memorization and the the recall that you need. It's like. Uh, and fish you know this it's like studying for a test and then having to spit it all out at one time yeah and i called back here to orlando and i told my mom i was like i i don't know if i'm gonna be able to do this and she's like you'll figure it out just don't worry you know you'll figure it out but i bring that up because i moved home after college and everybody is getting jobs and everybody's trying to to find their way into business. And I was a broadcast major who was now trying to get into writing and being on TV and radio. And people are like, and this is 2006, that those jobs didn't exactly exist at that time where you were kind of doing everything. It was Mm -hmm. just, just starting. And my mom, I remember I lived here for like a year, year and a half, put a piecing together freelance work and, and doing all these different things, covering high school football and high school <laughs> wrestling and writing stories for the Orlando Sentinel for 50 bucks. She's like, it's okay. My, my little brother's girlfriend actually was calling me failure to launch like that. <laughs> That's the McConaughey move. Yeah. But, but I say all that because my mom believed in me that whole time. And I would keep uh, flying to different places and meeting with people. And she said, just stay at it. And my dad did as well. And, and they stayed on me. Because they said, if this is what you want to do, just Go believe it. that it can eventually happen. And it finally did once I went to Chicago. But my mom and my dad, and my mom to this day, she, she always says she's my biggest fan and my biggest critic. When I say <laughs> something that she thinks is stupid. She calls you. What's the matter with you? You know, what are you <laughs> doing? <laughs> but uh, to have gotten to that point when I moved in after college and I wasn't sure what the hell I was going to do to the point where I'm at now where – I can write about the game or talk about the game, whatever happens. I I always appreciated her support and and I'll always remember her in those moments in time where it could have gone a different direction. Yeah, that's that's a good story. Yeah, my mom used to call me and I had a bad game. And then when I actually went cell phone, so she called the hotel room. Okay, great. So uh, what's wrong with you? Something's wrong. So I I, I do understand. <laughs> I'm not feeling well. What's wrong? What's happening? I understand. 
Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. Great. That's a beautiful tribute to your mom. And I'm glad that she encouraged you and pushed you along the way because uh, it's been a pleasure as a friend of yours to watch your career continue to blossom. You do a great job covering the game, covering the sport, uh, and and covering all the personalities and the storylines. It, it makes it really fun to watch and to follow. And, and uh, I'm excited to see what the next decade has in store as you cover the Miami Heat winning their fifth <laughs> NBA title, you know? You've lived in many places. Maybe maybe the next right. transfer is Miami, you know, and the, right, the Jimmy right. Butler run. You never yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for sure. Yeah, you have to send me some different inside scoop on on fish here so we can get some stuff <laughs> on it. So we're working out. You got it. You got yeah. it. You got it. That's right. Well, thanks again, Nick. I really appreciate it, man. It's always great catching up with you. You're you're the best. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, that was great catching up with my old friend, Nick Friedel. We were in class together for four years, broadcast journalism at Syracuse, and I'm so proud of him to see the amazing work that he's done for ESPN for the last decade and what he continues to do. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. But one story I had, you guys watched Syracuse win a championship, so you never told me about winning a national title with Syracuse while you were there. That had to be pretty wild and amazing for you two, not only to have this relationship, but be there Mm-hmm. Uh, at an early stage of your career to see a team win a national title. And in New Orleans. Imagine being a freshman in college, oh, Lord, my a sports fan, never having in New Orleans. A cheered on a team that won anything. And oh. here I am. This is my team, my school, and we're in New Orleans. I mean, there's no better place to, to party and celebrate. And there's I no remember. better place to have a Final Four. That's oh, for sure. It was amazing. I was there. And – I, I'm at some bar after the game celebrating Donovan McNabb, the, the legendary yeah, Syracuse yeah. quarterback who played in the NFL. He was there. I'm partying with him, taking pictures with him. It, it was like uh, I was living a dream. It, it was out of fun. control. So we see the passion. Yeah, you guys are, are great, uh, great, great together. And uh, great to have Nick on. It's an amazing story, especially the Jimmy Butler stuff, man. It just, hmm. you know, he, he's seen it evolve, right, over a period of time. And it was just great to hear how he has viewed that and his opinion from the outside looking, you know, on a day by day basis. So that was very special. Absolutely. I mean, he has such a unique perspective having followed his entire career back when no one believed in Jimmy Butler, except for, as Nick said, Jimmy Butler. And just to see Jimmy's work ethic, his passion, his confidence, that competitiveness, that drive that he has, has made him great and he finally found the right situation and of course he's not an nba champion yet but what he did he should be proud of because he put the league on notice he went toe-to-toe with lebron james and was a worthy adversary it was uh, really impressive well if he has any you know attitude at all coming out of this championship series and being and what they've done you know collectively as a unit and if, you, if it was me and I go by a restaurant and I see them celebrating a championship I could have won. I'm going to be really mad, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm going to be motivated to go right to the gym two weeks later and get right back at it. And so how can I get my teammates now to focus in on next season, being that we have to be in this pandemic and a bubble and all the stuff we have to do? How can we come together as we did and stay committed? Because they want to roll there from the beginning of the playoffs to the end. And they, 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 they just did a phenomenal job. So how can I get my teammates motivated? for next year right now is that we got a taste of it, but I want more. I, well, I, I want to be, I want to be in the party. I don't want to be walking by yeah. the window. 
I have no doubt Jimmy Butler is already doing that. He's been posting on social media yes. videos of him in the gym, of him in the weight room, and he has vowed that they will be back. He said yeah, he, he deems this all as a disappointment because he promised that they would win a championship and they came up just short. Uh, to me, it was a success, but to him, he's still hungry, and I think he's going to show all the young teammates on that squad that they're they're close, but they're not Absolutely. there yet. And they got to be hungry. I, I think they will be, though. I think they'll be hungry. And Speaking of hungry, fun to, fun to watch. I'm getting hungry. It's lunchtime for me. So there you go. There you I got to go eat. Uh, yeah, I'm hungry over here. Ralph, it was another great episode of Center Court. Thanks for sharing your insights. Uh, it was great chatting with our special guest, Nick Fidel. And we're going to have another great guest for you next week. Thank you to all of our listeners for being here week in and week out and joining us on this journey. Uh, be sure to leave us a review, uh, rate us five stars, and follow us. Where, Ralph? On JV Fish. And Center Court 50 and Ralph Sampson 50. You got it. Your social media guru, Ralph Sampson. You got it. I'm man. working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Follow us there. And thanks again for listening to another edition of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. And I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.